you're listening to the Player Layer Podcast. I'm your host, Ivan Alexiev, and I'm very happy to be with Wes today, who is the designer of Questros, a game that is currently up on Kickstarter and will, I, th- I think, for another three days, it has another three days on, on Kickstarter. It has not, uh, as of the recording of this, it has not yet hit its goal, so I highly recommend that you go and check it out. I had a wonderful conversation with Wes about game design, about uh, his idea with fundamental games, and he's been doing this for a while. He also has a great podcast, which you should check out, um, a YouTube channel. Check out uh, Wes's Questeros now on Kickstarter, and I hope you enjoy listening to this episode of the Player Layer Podcast. Great to be here, Ivan. Thanks for the invite. Yeah, thank you. I'm very interested to hear all about uh, your upcoming Kickstarter project. Uh, how do you pronounce it, actually? Questeros? Close, yeah. Questeros, Questeros. Uh, both roll off the tongue about the same. But, uh, a kind of a fantasy, strategic, trick-taking card tarot game. It's a combination of things. Uh, could you tell me about, like, a bit more about the game? Like, what's your, what's your game pitch if you're going to publisher? My game pitch, well, Questeros is a, first and foremost, it's a multiplayer trick-taking card game um, with a 78-card deck that can be a fully functional tarot deck. So that's kind of the main premise behind it, is that it is a multiplayer trick-taking card game. Um, And it's based on a couple popular games, whether it's uh, Hearts and Wizard, kind of a combination of those classic trick-taking games, but with a, a very strong fantasy element where every single card has individual art and many of the cards have special powers that are referenced in reference cards. And But it also includes a solitaire game called Eros Quest, kind of using the same title, but flipping it within itself and you get to play the role of a goblin going on a quest to encounter all of the major arcana that you would see in a tarot deck. Uh, and then kind of um, a third and fourth function or the ability to use it for, well, I already said as a tarot deck, but also as a fate deck for popular role-playing games. So awesome. that's kind of the uh, four-in-one pitch for it. <laughs> yeah, yeah it's, uh, it's really cool that you've got, it's got so many functions. So you got like a solo mode, multiplayer mode, um, and a bunch of stuff. And you, you've been doing this since like 2018, right? Uh, that's when you launched Fundamental Games. Yeah, I started Fundamental Games in 2018 with an idea for a um, kind of a world traveling fantasy board game that kind of took D&D and compressed it into a one hour uh, epic session where you just go from zero to hero in an hour and accomplish the game and move on instead of playing these long 60-hour campaigns with drawn-out stories. As fun as those are, I wanted something that compressed it into a box, but um, that was too much at the time for me to do as a first launch, so I launched a small game called Duel of the Dragons, then launched Novus, and um, a few other things between then and now before we go to Questeros. Yeah, so this is like, this is your sixth Kickstarter? Or am I getting it right? Uh, yeah, well... My sixth one was Die in the Dungeon. Um, my this, So this will be my seventh. But uh, one of my campaigns, Legends of Novus, I had to run twice because the first time underfunded by about uh, about $2,000, I was short. Yeah, yeah. So what have you? What do you think you've learned about uh, Kickstarter in these two years? 
Uh, I've learned that the the audiences are very niche in many cases where they they know what they want and if they don't see what they want in your campaign page or in your first in their first scroll or a little bit of a video that they happen to watch then they have a lot of other choices and they will move on fast. Um, so I've learned that uh, and you'll see it on any of the reference podcasts or blogs that you kind of have to develop and bring your audience along before you ever press the launch button. Some people make the mistake of trying to get excited two weeks before the launch and trying to share everything then, but you really have to be sharing months out. Some people do it years out. Um, Andrew Lowen with Deliverance has been working on his for at least two years. I've seen other people work on it for much longer. So it's it's all about building and bringing an audience and then other people will join after, but uh, that initial launch depends on what you've done beforehand. I know that uh, from what I read about fundamental games, you're like one restriction is just the genre or the, you know, the the theme of the game needs to be fantasy. What is uh, what does your process usually look like with uh, designing games? Uh, my first process point is I want to design something that I would enjoy playing. Some people will, most people will hopefully reference that point is if, if I'm not going to enjoy it, I'm not going to make it. My second one is that I almost always want uh, to be able to test it solo because finding a strong playtesting audience repetitive is very difficult to do. So I usually base games on something I can test myself and then spread out. And then my, as you, you mentioned, my third design point is about it being a fantasy game. But kind of tethered to that is being a fantasy game with some kind of twist that I personally have not seen or played or researched or found anything about. So when I, when I made uh, Duel of the Dragons, I, I hadn't seen... Uh, a card game that layered cards in the way that I layered them. When I made Novus, I hadn't seen a game that could turn D&D into such a small uh, compressed time frame. When I made um, Die in the Dungeon, I'd never seen a game where you play as the boss monster with all the polyhedral dice. Um, so kind of reversed or flipped the whole fantasy element. And then with Questeros, uh, I've never seen a a fantasy. I've never seen a trick-taking game taken into fantasy at such a, an extent with a multi-purpose deck. So I'm just trying to find ways to, uh, instead of just making another game in the same niche, is finding a way to make it special. Mm. Yeah, yeah, for sure. That's really. I, I think those are all quite strong points, and it's important to have those uh, to, to, uh, to to kind of know those things going in advance. Uh, what what you want to achieve, and having those like kind of goals for for what type of game you want to make what are some games that uh that you love playing or what got you into the hobby and what what got you to you know designing games yeah i mean uh i played DD a lot in my youth i played a lot of uh, fantasy based video games and fantasy books so that's what drove me into fantasy what drove me into board games was i played magic the gathering for about 25 years uh, kind of aging myself there since the ice age is when i played that first expansion uh, but there was a time where i moved to a smaller town and every once in a while they have magic tournaments we went to a game night one night and wanted to play and uh, there wasn't enough people so there was no magic game night for us so instead we ended up wandering to the board game kind of the loner section where you're allowed to play games that they have open and we pulled out a game of munchkin um, which i'd read about but never played and i i hated the game but i loved the concept of the game the fact that i could do what i wanted to do in a, in a card game uh, but it just wasn't right for me and it got my wheels turning and i stopped playing magic from that day and started designing games from that day on oh so immediately <laughs> got into design where are some games yeah it's like it turned the switch yeah. <laughs> yeah it was weird 
Yeah. What what are uh, what are some games that you play now? I know that you've got uh, this wonderful YouTube channel that you started, uh, where you you try and show the fun of a of a game in five minutes or explain what you find fun in a game, which I think is a great uh, a great thing from a design point. Like we we may have talked about it, but uh, since I do a lot of uh, de- game development and uh, playtesting, like my main aim usually is find what uh, like what the, what the core fun is or what uh, what's driving the designer even when it's a design that doesn't particularly appeal to me and I think your your channel does that great for yeah. already published games and you you're uh, um, kind of looking at that even post uh, you, we are you know it's it's a it's usually games that are already accepted by a large audience and you're still uh, trying to find those uh, find and, and identify those points so yeah could you tell me a little bit about um, <clears throat> about like what games you play, and uh, and a bit about the, yeah. your your five minute YouTube uh, channel. Sure, can I mean I, I play a lot of games with my family. I have a wife and two kids, and um, we just like to find games that we can each attach to in some way, shape, or form. Sometimes the game is for everybody, and some one or two people will play just because they have to. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the main thing is that we we want to have some kind of fun in the game. And that's where the Fun in Five uh, YouTube channel came from is uh, we figured out what we like to do. And so when we play it, it's nice to remember what those things are. And I thought, well, why don't I share that with people who might be interested? You know, somebody who's never heard of Azul or never heard of Lords of Waterdeep or Tyrants of the Underdark. Maybe I can just share with them in a very small time frame instead of them watching an hour long how to play video or rules video. So that was fun. And so we... um, Lately, we've been trying to get as many diverse games as we can about different mechanics because that's kind of like research for what I do as my side hobby, making games. But it also gives us a lot of options. Uh, But we're also really trying to hit the top 100 just to really understand why did those games make it to the top 100. So whether it was um, Dominion, which is one of our favorites, or whether it's uh, Gloomhaven Jaws of the Lion or Wingspan or uh, these really popular games we've been diving into to get an understanding of what made them popular. I mean, my family does it to play games, but I do it for research to make my own games. Yeah, that's uh, that's an excuse I use. I use as well. <laughs> yeah, <It's my> <laughs> you can write it off on taxes too. <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, you mentioned that it's your uh, side hobby. Does that mean that you have a main hobby, or, or uh, are you? <laughs> what is it, what is it you, that you do uh, outside of board games? Uh, I've been working with Walmart Canada for 22 years now. I started just out of high school instead of uh, I had a choice to go and be a manager at Walmart or go in, into finance, which I was going to school for. And I ended up going with Walmart. And um, but uh, so I still do that full time. I work as a total loss manager. I kind of go around about 10 or 12 stores and give advice on how to prevent loss. So that's my full time job. It pays the bills. And then this hobby kind of uh, cost me more money than I make right now, but eventually it might actually turn from red to green. We'll see. Die in the din- Dungeon came really, really close. If I sell another 100 copies, I should break even with that one. Mm. But uh, yeah, Walmart is job and uh, board games is my hobby. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's interesting. Lots of, I don't know, I speak, I speak to a lot of designers. Um, well, <laughs> you know, with, with the podcast especially, like uh, yesterday or the day before I spoke to Andy Steiger, who uh, designed Targi, and he said that like one of his uh, his aims was to like not make it uh, his job or, or to keep it fun, you know. And then some other people tried uh, yeah. 
to to actually go into the industry and uh, make it their main thing and uh, it's 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 a difficult thing to balance i find because uh, right right now like i'm uh, i'm full-time uh, board games kind of i, I kind of had to <laughs> so uh and i, yeah, I wanted yeah. to i wanted it's to a pandemic and all yeah um but um but yeah it's uh it, it, it I, I, th- I think you need to figure out uh, uh, whether that's for you and whether it um, whether you, uh, you can still you know um, make make games well you know or you can do, do it well if uh, if it, you depend on it you know um, yeah so uh, you mentioned yeah what- if, you, if you can ever get to the point where you can Oh, sorry. I was just saying, if you can ever get to the point where you do design a game that will repetitively sell, then you might get to that point. That's a, that's a tough part to get to, and I'm definitely not there yet. But it is something I aspire to as well: is make a game that will not just sell once on Kickstarter, but will sell year after year after year, like the Everdells or the Wingspans or the um, the Gloomhavens type of thing. Yeah, but I, I love that you're kind of like you're, you you've, you're trying out so many different things and you you mentioned legends of novus uh, die in the dungeon and because so many designers you know they they stay in uh in <laughs> in keeping games in their heads and uh that's uh i, I find it really uh, inspiring really uh, awesome when i see um you know when i when i see your projects and you always have something new coming and uh i think that's a good way to to keep doing it Awesome. Thanks. My, my next one is, is uh, something I'm really excited about. I'm kind of, I haven't done much with it yet, but I'm really, th- I can't wait to, to get Questeros launched and, and shared so I can move on to the next game. It's, it's one of those things as a game designer, you know, you probably are always working on one big time, but there's like a dozen that you're thinking of in your head and you just got to keep them settled until you can get through one. I think the problem some designers have is that they keep trying to work on all 12 at once. And what I try to do is really get through one while I still let the other one ideas brew in jail. Mm. Yeah, for sure. For sure. That's, uh, you know, st- you, you got to try and stay one ahead, <laughs> at least, at least one project ahead of, uh, of what's, what you're yeah, putting yeah. out there. Um, yeah. And, and it's, it's crazy how, even even some some designers like I talked to Bruno Catala who said he's got like fifteen or sixteen projects <laughs> right once, but uh, like the key there is keeping them at different levels. I think can actually be beneficial. Like uh, you know, if you have one that's almost ready, or yeah. you're just editing, and then you have uh, one that's that's still in a very raw idea phase, it's it gives you something to work on when you're in different mindsets, I guess. Or, <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, could you tell me more? Like you mentioned Legends of Novus and uh, Die in the Dungeon. Um, what, um, what kinds of di- different fantasy elements? Or, or, or uh, I want to ask you about like world building and whether all of your games are, um, uh, whether you think of them in, you know, um, one universe, or <laughs> if that makes sense, or uh, yeah, um, yeah, just more more on the theme and whether you're building something. Uh, like I, I realize that you like the having die in the name. There's like uh, two of them. Do that. <laughs> 
Yeah, so um, Legends of Novus was kind of the first world that I thought of in my head, the world of Novus, a new world that kind of combined as a result of a major catastrophe. And um, I had a lot of fun with the world building behind that. But what I found was that because I wasn't making a campaign-based game, the lore itself really didn't have a lot of places to go in the box itself. So even though I had all of these thoughts in this story in this world, I didn't have much to do with it. So I ended up attaching an art book as an add-on for that game, and I had fun with that. But I also found that it was a lot of time spent with uh, no return on investment. So when I ended up doing my next couple games, whether it was a deck of dice, which is more just a game component than a game, and kind of the, the tethering to that was called the Dominions, which was these little dice-based uh, creatures that you could play a, a mini game with. That was a, almost like a precursor to Die in the Dungeon. It was me. I already had the art assets, and I wanted to do something fun with the components, so I built my own little game using that deck of dice. So that was cool, but there was really no story at all to it. And then when I went on to die in the dungeon, there's a, a very th a thin storyline. And the storyline is basically saying you as a dungeon master or monster got thrown into a dungeon by the the dialect of the, the game master or whatever. And um, had some fun with some quirky one-liners on the cards, but really didn't go into world building after that because I, I thought if I wasn't going to make a campaign game and, and this wasn't going to turn into anything else, um, I thought I would keep it light. So none of the... Uh, games are interconnected as a fantasy world. They're, they're, the only common link is that it's fantasy. Hmm. All right, that's very cool. Um, what would your advice be to um, those designers that keep games in their head, <laughs> or you know, people who want to design games but haven't gotten to it yet, or people who look at all those Kickstarters and want to um, try something themselves? They don't know what it is yet, I guess. Um, yeah, well, I think I think um, if you do too much research and look at too many high-profile games, it can be really intimidating, and you may end up trying to create a game that really isn't what you are going to enjoy or like yourself. So, I think to to start with is if you are if you feel confident in your design or your concept, um, try to do as much of it as you can without doing research first to get a game concept kind of ready that you can play test and then worry about components and artwork and everything else later. I mean, I, I kind of always jump ahead on the artwork because I thrive on art, especially in fantasy. So I usually try to um, grab some images from the internet or um, something like that that I can attach to my own personal playtesting. So, um, for example, when I made Legends of Novus, I built the entire game using a program called, um, oh, what was it called? There's a Magic the Gathering card template site. I can't even remember what it's called. But basically, my entire game was built using fake Magic the Gathering cards, using art that I didn't own, just so I could have something to see visually to represent the paladin or the dragon or the, the monster. So I needed that. But otherwise, I, did the, I made the whole game without um, really trying to do a ton of research because I just wanted to get a game built and then moved on from there. So I don't know if that's good advice or not, just getting your game made and, and playtesting the heck out of it. But uh, that's what worked for me. Yeah, I think that's definitely good advice. And uh, the artwork for Questers is something that uh, that I think is really good. I'm, I'm a big fan of John DeCampos, who... Uh, did it, and I think uh, I think it's a really good choice on your side uh, using his his art. Yeah, he was uh, really excited to get on the project with me. I had two other. It was kind of a 
I had three artists in mind for this one, and it was tough to decide which route to go. My first original plan um, kind of didn't work out due to some life things that happened with that individual. Uh, my second choice was a bit more cartoony, but then John gave me some of his preliminary artwork that he had as an idea, and it just fits him old so, so well, and he's done nothing but great things with every card idea. Um, and he's really able to take the sketch that I make and turn it into something magical, which is not something everybody can do. So, yeah, for it's good. Sure. For sure, and the the logo—it's very interesting. Um, it's what is it? What is it called when uh, you can flip it around <clears throat> and it's the same? And it had a lot of a lot of backlash yeah. as well. I don't know if you're comfortable talking with that. About you're that. right. <laughs> yeah, yeah, um, and, and that's one of those uh, follow your heart type of things. So the biggest backlash with this is that it's an ambigram that's difficult to read. So, um, and I know you're not showing it on the podcast, but if anybody looks at it, um, you can read the word front to back and then flip it upside down and read it the same. And so if you're holding a tarot card, often cards are, are flipped both ways. So it's neat to be able to have a card that you can do that with. Um, and same with the box. The, the box, you'll be able to see the joker or the jester goblin on the top, and you'll be able to see the demon on the bottom. So put the box however you want. So, uh, But the, the lashback is that it's hard to read. So uh, many people say, you know, it's cool, but don't do it. And my thought is, I love it, so I'm going to do it anyway. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I think I think uh, it's a good call. To, to me, it, it's uh, it's something I, I really like. And I don't know. Uh, I'm not going to tell you how to do it uh, because uh, you know. I, yeah, I, yeah. I think I think it's it's something that's difficult to do to actually do, and it's awesome that you figured out a way to do it with with that word or that John figured it out. I don't know. Um, but it, uh, I, I, <clears throat> to me, it it really adds something really cool. That you know, how many games are the same flipped or just am, am, ambigrams, if that's what they're called, are awesome. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It was a, it was a nice uh, collaboration because I wanted a, a, a nifty title. He threw an ambigram at me that I didn't like. I did some research and threw another one back at him that I did like, and then he came out with a final product that worked quite well. So, yeah, thanks. Yeah, yeah. Well, I hope I, ho I hope that people can read it, <laughs> and uh, and yeah, <laughs> um, yeah. So, like, final kind of final um, thoughts. What would be your um, dream game? And let's say in in a few years, um, are there any specific mechanics or any anything that you really want to make? Um, or like, if, if you could make any game, you could also use references for other games. Or what, what would be your dream game? Yep. Well, my, my favorite uh, game mechanic in my family's as well. Like, we love Dominion, we love Clank, we love Tyrants of the Underdark. So all these different deck builders. The tough thing about that is that deck builders are so overdone that making one right now just seems like I'd be just joining the trend or making something that is getting lost in a sea of better games. So if I can come up with an idea that I think is unique enough that it uses a deck building mechanic in a way that hasn't been used yet, then that would be my dream game. And I had a concept for it, but I haven't really pushed it far. It's called um, Player Character. And uh, basically, you're, it's almost like you're building a character as you progress in the game. And a role player does a similar thing, but I think they kind of have some pre-generated character forms. But in this game, you would basically build all of your stats in your deck, eventually culminating in a, a battle at the end. But I haven't figured out how to balance it all. So that'd be my dream game as a, a fantasy deck builder that hasn't been done before. Yeah, 
No, it's really cool. It's, it's again, something that we talked a lot about with uh, Andy last time. And uh, I would definitely recommend, in that case, if you haven't played Dune Imperium, to um, try it out. Because I think uh, that that's one deck builder that, to me, really stands out because of how... I, I, I think, like, the thing that you mentioned, which is, um, you know, making something new that stands out, uh, I think more often than not that's uh, blending mechanics uh, rather than having completely new mechanics. So, like, what, what they did there, I think, is just amazing how they blended deck building with worker placement. Like, um, having your deck actually unlock those those spots yeah. where you can go is... Have you played the game? I have not, but I've seen countless posts about it ever since the game was released, so <laughs> it must be doing something right. Yeah, yeah. So I think, uh, I think uh, Endless Winter, which was recognized on a few channels as the Kickstarter game of the year, I think they do something similar where they combine worker placement and deck building, and uh, yeah, it's weird. I'm was, looking forward to trying that. There's three games that came out. like I, I had never seen that combination, and then in uh, a very short time span, there's three games that come out all with uh, deck building and worker placement. Endless Winter Ruins of and Lost Ruins yeah. of Varnak and uh, and Dune Imperium. But, yeah, I've heard about a few things about that one too. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, uh, my, I guess my, my advice would be, uh, you know, find find a, a, an interesting way to blend blend mechanics is is what I found. Uh, what what I I find those hybrids really interesting to me as uh, both as a player and as a yeah. as a designer. Yeah, that's, yeah that's what I love most about Clank and Pirates of the Underdark is the, so that blend, because just playing another deck builder isn't enough, but the way they put those two things together is, is cool for those games, so I can see how that would have worked well with those other ones also. Mm. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, so, yeah, um, th- thank you. I think you're. Uh, that, that's a really cool goal that you shared, uh, because deck building, to me, to me, it's always been really like daunting. Uh, like I, I don't have that many deck builders. I've got. Uh, I think I played like Mage Knight and uh, um, Hero Realms is a, is a really small deck builder, um, which is which is great. Also, uh, I've not gotten to Clank yet, but it's the same yeah. designer as Dune Imperium. Um, but yeah, I think that's that's a, a cool. I'd I'd be interested in in checking out uh, your idea if you're if you do go down that path, but I'd be even more interested in seeing uh, the Questeros uh, <laughs> Kickstarter now, or Questeros. Uh, Quest- right on. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, I hope to... You got it, Questeros, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Questeros. Otherwise, it sounds like Westeros in uh, Game of Thrones, the... You know, the... <laughs> uh, actually, it's Westeros, isn't it? Hey, if, if, if that gets... If that gets more of an audience, even better. I was, I was because I, I've watched all, um, all the seasons and read all the books. Still waiting for the magical sixth book that might never come out to come out. But uh, yeah, I was thinking of Westeros and Questeros, and um, originally I was going to call the deck uh, Quest Taros using the actual tarot uh, writing, but I got so many bad feedback about that terminology that I, you can tar- tar- tarot is still in the name, but only as a sound and not as a spelling. Yeah, yeah, I remember. I remember seeing your your posts months ago about uh, with with the different game well, uh, name. Yeah, but yeah. No, I think I think it's very very cool the way you've decided to um, to do it. And thank thank you so much for uh, for talking about it. Yeah, it's been a blast. Thank you for having me on the show. Appreciate it.